We have been moving through the book of Exodus, this Old Testament picture of the gospel. And we come this morning to Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 through 11. Our New Testament complementary passage is Mark's gospel, chapter 2, beginning in verse 22. And so, with your Bibles open to Mark's Gospel, chapter 2, in honor of God's Word, please stand. Mark's Gospel, chapter 2, beginning in verse 22. No one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins, and the wine is destroyed, and so are the skins. But new wine is for fresh wineskins. One Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, Have you never read what David did? When he was in need and was hungry, he and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which it is not lawful for any but the priests to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. As far in the reading of God's word, please turn to Exodus chapter 20, beginning in verse 8 in continuing in the reading of God's Word. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day, and made it holy. Thus far in the reading of God's word, let us pray. Father, as we have read, we now come to the preaching and the hearing of your word, and we pray that you would speak to us by your word and spirit. Conform us unto the image of Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. So I would imagine that everybody in this room is familiar with the name Billy Graham. He was undoubtedly the most famous evangelist of the late 1900s, mid to late 1900s. But he was preceded by another Billy, Billy Sunday. Billy Sunday was a retired professional baseball player who was as prominent in his day as Billy Graham was a few decades after him. Now, Billy Sunday was known for hammering on three particular societal sins. Three particular sins which showed how far society had fallen into corruption and decay. One was the consumption of alcohol. Alcohol 
was the devil's brew. And it was clear that a nation that tolerated bars and distilleries and all of that was a nation that was under the curse of God. The second was gambling. Gambling was a sign of complete sin and wickedness. And the third, now if you were guessing, thinking what a modern day evangelist might say is the third great sin, I bet you'd say smoking. (laughs) You'd be wrong. (laughs) The third great national sin that Billy Sunday pointed out was Sabbath breaking. The Lord's Day. Billy Sunday was a professional baseball player. And he believed that baseball was the most American of sports. An area that I would disagree with him on. But he made it very clear that baseball was not to be played on Sunday. Because Sunday is the Sabbath. Now, fast forward to today. And if we have a national evangelist, if we have someone who is speaking of our national sins, would we really expect them to say, alcohol, Eh, maybe. Gambling, maybe. Sabbath breaking, That sounds like something from, like, ancient days or something. Nobody keeps the Sabbath. What are you talking about? That's a weird thing. But now, I consider myself fairly young. Uh, (laughs) Each year, uh, I'm discovering it's less so. But as a relatively young guy, I remember in my own youth, Growing up in the South, it was very common to have blue laws. I have no idea why they were called blue laws. But what blue laws were, were restrictions on what was allowed to be sold on Sunday. And at first, blue laws meant that all retail establishments needed to be shut down. No business was allowed to conduct business on Sunday. And then they opened it up for pharmacies because people would need medications. And slowly it opened wider and wider and wider until when I was in my teen years, I remember very vividly walking into a 7-Eleven on Sunday and seeing these iron bars across the beer coolers. You could get anything else in 7-Eleven you wanted. You get sodas, chips, anything else you wanted, but no alcohol before a certain time on Sunday. Blue laws were a social recognition of the Lord's Day. So what happened? What happened between Billy Sunday in the 1920s, 1930s, saying Sabbath breaking is this key sign of God's curse upon the nation? What happened between 1985, really, that's probably the last time that I saw the bars across the beer cooler at the 7-Eleven. What happened between 1985 and today? Did we have some great theological breakthrough 
that helped us to understand that God does not require Sabbath-keeping today? Did we have some national revival that caused all of us citizens of the United States of America to recognize that Jesus Christ is the eschatological fulfillment of the Sabbath and therefore that Old Testament law no longer binds us. I would argue no. I would argue that we are not closer nationally and as a society to Jesus Christ today than we were 30 years ago, than we were a hundred years ago. I would argue that as a society, if anything, we've moved more towards a polarization of society and church. So what was the deal with the Sabbath? Why is the Sabbath so central in the Bible? There are really three marks that are absolutely unique to the children of Israel. Three things that distinguish the children of Israel. Now, if you were going to think of three things that distinguish the children of Israel from all other nations around them, from their worship, from all the other worship around them, what would the three things be that would come to your mind? I bet one of them would be circumcision. The Egyptians practiced circumcision. Circumcision was very common in the ancient world. The three things that are absolutely unique to Israelite worship, one of them, and, and I would both of them we've already seen in the book of Exodus, one of them is the Passover ritual. No other ancient Near Eastern religion viewed its worship as a thankful response. They viewed worship, and particularly the sacrificial system, as a way to earn their God's pleasure or a way to appease their God's wrath. But nobody had the Passover except Israel. So the Passover... And the entire theology that comes out, the entire understanding of God that comes out of that Passover is unique to Israel. The second is no other ancient religion has such a central point on you're not to make any images of your gods. We see images of the gods all over the place. Idols and and, and murals and, and all of these things. Images were essential. They needed, you needed something visual to be able to, to, to identify. Nobody thought the actual idol was the God. They all knew it was a representation of the God. But, but they all felt that they needed some physical representation of that God. And only the Israelites absolutely forbade any physical representation of Jehovah God. The third is the Sabbath. The Sabbath marks the people of God in a unique way. No other religion has the Sabbath as central 
to its life as central to who it is. And so as we look at the Sabbath briefly, I want to look at two elements that stand out from the Sabbath commands. The first is this command to rest. The command to rest. And the second is the plea to delight. The plea to delight. The command to rest and the plea to delight. Now, if you're familiar with the story of the Old Testament, we saw it already there in Isaiah chapter 58. Again and again and again, the children of Israel are called out for the grudging way in which they keep the Sabbath. They either don't keep it at all, or other writers of the Old Testament will say, of the Old Testament will say, that they're basically looking at their watch all day long going, oh, come on, when will this day be over? I want to go do something. I want to go have fun. This is horrible. This is such a burden on me. I have to sit still all day long and do nothing. And the, the Old Testament writers are saying, guys, call it a delight. Look at it afresh. See this opportunity to fellowship in an intimate way with your beloved. And the fact that you look at this as a burden shows how dead you are. The fact that you look at this as some beautiful exercise that you are giving to God, and in some way God must be pleased with this great sacrifice of your time, shows how dead you are. That you would say, this day of communion with God, this day of rest in God, is a burden. you got a problem. And that basically is the entire message of the Old Testament prophets, <laughs> as they rebuke Israel on this issue. Now, as we look at this command to rest, where do we first encounter the Sabbath? We encounter the Sabbath in the Genesis story. In Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God finished His work that He had done, and He rested on the seventh day from all His work that He had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Three times you've got that phrase, all the work that he had done. All the work that he had done. All the work that he had done. So what do you think the rest is about? It's about all the work that he had done. Twice in those two verses you get, God rested on the seventh day. Central to the Sabbath is this idea of resting. And you see that obviously in the fourth commandment in Exodus chapter 20. But this is at a level, this is at a surface level. What, what is being called for us in Exodus chapter 20 is that surface level obedience to the Sabbath. That surface level keeping of the Sabbath. 
And even that surface level requires sacrifice. Because you're living in a farming economy, you're living around a bunch of other farmers, you're living around other craftsmen who are in the villages, you're living around people who are working seven days a week, and if you take a day off, you fall that much further behind. you got to trust God to bring in the harvest. you got to trust God for these other opportunities to, to feed your family because you are sacrificially taking a day and committing it to God. But the writer to the Hebrews, which we read in, in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 8 through 11, points out that this rest from the work was always pointing. If Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Whoever has entered into God's rest has also rested from his work as God did from his. Now the writer goes on in the very next verse. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. You see, that physical rest, that physical command regarding the Sabbath was always pointing to the spiritual reality. It's that you have rested from your futile works. Your desire to please God. Your desire to earn God's favor. Your desire to somehow pull yourself up that ladder of spirituality so that finally you can be at peace with God because you've finally done enough. The Sabbath says no. The Sabbath says you bring nothing. You rest. You rest from your physical work. You also rest in resting from that physical work, reminding yourself that you're resting from that work of trying to earn God's favor. This day, this day that God has set apart, this day that God meets with His people has got to be marked by rest. Now, I'm not going to give you the specifics of how that looks. I'm not going to say, don't exercise. Because frankly, those of you who know, my family know that our son has struggled all his life with ADHD. And the way that he compensates or the way that he deals with that ADHD is very strenuous physical exercise. So this morning, he got up and he went to the gym and he worked out. And I can promise you that all the folks at Acacia are thankful that he did because otherwise he'd be fidgeting and bouncing and jumping and couldn't sit still. And my wife is going to be thankful that he did because this afternoon he won't be fidgety and jumpy and obnoxious. He'll be calm. And the only thing that gets him calm is some very strenuous exercise. So I think it's perfectly appropriate for him to exercise. I'm not going to say 
Here's your list of the things that you are allowed to do and the things that you are not allowed to do. What I am going to say is you need, you and I both, need to shift our attention to this second point, which is that the Sabbath is to be a delight. Delighting in the Sabbath. That, brothers and sisters, will change everything. If you have your mind oriented towards delighting in this communion with God, this day of rest, this day of fellowship with God, then all of the details, I think, are going to pretty easily fall into place. And and I I find it so ironic. And, And I grew up in a Christian home. My parents kept the Sabbath. They kept the Lord's Day. And I'm not blaming this on them. Please hear me carefully. This is my problem. This is my heart issue. (laughs) But as a kid, and I wonder how many of you young people kind of see Sunday a little bit like I saw it as a child. As a child, I saw Sunday as a day that I did not get to do anything fun. That was Sunday. Sunday, I had to get up, I had to go to Sunday school, I had to go to church, we went home afterwards, mom had a big lunch for us, (sighs) and then I just sat there. I wasn't allowed to ride my bicycle, I couldn't go climb trees in the backyard, I couldn't go shoot bows and arrows at my sisters, I couldn't do all the stuff that a normal boy should do. And Sunday... I saw as a burden. That's not just related to kids. Because the children of Israel also turned Sabbath keeping. They perverted it into this work. A vestige of that still exists today. If you've ever heard of the term Eruvim, if you're familiar with Jewish custom, the Eruvim still exists today, and the Eruvim is a fishing line that is tied from the doorpost of your house down the block and over the next block, and, and so it, it, this fishing line describes a geographic area that is home, because you're not allowed to leave home carrying anything. You can't carry your purse, you can't carry your wallet, you can't carry your car keys, you can't even push a baby stroller. If you do any of that on the Sabbath day, it's work. So as long as I tie a fishing line around the block, then the whole block now becomes my home. And so I'm allowed to now push the baby stroller down the block. Do you really think that's what God had in mind? And and lest you think I'm exaggerating, look it up. Not now, when you get home. Look it up. This, This has been controversial. London, a few years ago, denied a Jewish petition to establish an Eruvim, uh, in, in the Jewish community area in London. And the Jewish community appealed and they finally got it won and, but, but there have been a lot of these, a lot of these, uh, civil court cases over establishing the Eruvim. 
Do you really think that's what God was getting at? Do you really think that that's what he was saying? No, he says, take delight in this thing. Mark chapter 2, Jesus is confronting these people who are saying, listen, you can't do this stuff on the Sabbath. And what does Jesus say? He says, the man is not made for the Sabbath. The Sabbath is made for man. Now, in doing so, do you think that he is saying, forget the Sabbath? I don't think so. I think he's giving us a principle about what the Sabbath always was. The Sabbath was always a time that you and I could rest. You and I could be refreshed. You and I could be reminded and reawakened, re-energized in terms of who we are with God and where we are in our pilgrim journey. Both of these aspects, the rest that we are commanded to and the communion that we are invited into, the delightful fellowship with God that we are invited into, both of these elements continue and are intensified by the work of Jesus Christ. And that's one of the one of the big controversies. We are not going to develop it right here, right now. But one of the big controversies is, is the Sabbath entirely Old Testament? And we have the Lord's Day, and those two are completely different. And basically, the very principles of the Sabbath, which are rest and communion, are intensified in the Lord's Day. And in the New Testament, we have the example of the apostles gathering, the people gathering on the Lord's Day for worship. You can, you can, we we can go into that in more detail later. Here's what the point that I'm wanting to drill down. Here's the point that I'm wanting to drill home. That rest and that fellowship are intensified in the Christian gospel. They're intensified in your relationship now in the Sabbath. So finally, I would close with this, this this challenge to you. If you find yourself kind of feeling distant, if you find yourself struggling in your household, struggling in your marriage, struggling in your relationship with your children, with your parents, just kind of struggling with that spiritual dryness that all of us go through at some point or another. Go through in cycles even. I want to challenge you to take up Isaiah chapter 58. God throws the challenge down. He says, test me. Try me. Do it. Put me to the test. If you will delight in my Sabbath day, if you will delight in this day of rest and communion, see if I will not make you walk upon the heights of the earth. If you and I are complaining that we don't feel victorious in our Christian walk, that we don't feel alive and energized in our relationship with God, one of the very basic tests that God gives to you is take a day, take a day 
and commune with me. Take a day. By all means, take the kids for a walk. But as you're taking them for a walk, talk about the beauty of God's creation. How these thorns that the kids are brushing up against and hollering, owie, are part of the curse. And what a beautiful day it'll be when all these things are gone. By all means, engage with your children. The Sabbath is not a day for mom and dad just to go nap. It's a day of rest from our spiritual work. From our trying to earn God's favor. And so, I give you the same challenge that God gives. Take a day and see if He will not make you ride on the heights. If you're struggling in your household, if you're struggling in your marriage, if you're struggling in your relationship with your children, if you're struggling in in your relationship with your parents, if you're struggling in that sense of my calling as a single and I don't feel fulfilled or or I I don't... I feel like something's missing. Take a day. Regularly, not just try it once. <laughs> Take it regularly. Because this is that bridal chamber. This is that communion, that sweet fellowship that Jesus Christ invites us into. Call it a delight. Test him and see. And beloved, you will know what it is to walk on the heights of the earth. Let us pray. Mighty God and gracious Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this beautiful rest. This rest that is ours in Christ Jesus. And this rest that we look forward to. Rest from sin. Rest from injustice. Rest from all of the brokenness. Help us, Father to rest in you, and to delight in that rest. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.